This week on It Starts With Attraction. I loved today's conversation with Carolina Jad Kowalska, and I believe you are going to love it too. We are talking all about what it means to live alcohol-free, but we actually start by talking about what alcohol actually does in our body, and even I was shocked, and I believe you will be too. And then we talk about what are some tools and tactics that if you choose to go alcohol-free, you can still go out and have a great time without feeling like the social outcast. You are not going to want to miss this conversation. Let's dive in. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Carolina, I am really excited to talk today about alcohol and what it means to live an alcohol-free life and all the things. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, first of all, you've written a book. It came out earlier this year called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. What was it that led you to even want to write a book about ditching alcohol? Absolutely. You know, alcohol is a weird topic in our society. It is so ingrained into our culture. And when we talk about giving alcohol up or ditching it or quitting, we often think of this stereotype. We think of the stereotype of someone who's way over drinking, it's ruined their entire life, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think that keeps a lot of us stuck because I think a lot of us do not then relate to that stereotype. And so then we ask ourselves, is drinking a problem in my life? Well, no, because it's not that, right? And so I really wanted to write a book that helps anyone who has a regular drinking habit reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives because it's what I so desperately needed before. You know, I used to party pretty hard when I was in college and grad school. I had very little boundaries around alcohol. I was definitely way over drinking a lot of the time. But as I got older, things started changing. As I got in my mid to late 20s, I started to really get into mindfulness and health. And I settled down more. You know, I got married. I had a career. I had a house, all these things. And so what happened was that my drinking went from kind of this party lifestyle into Monday through Thursday. I was one of the healthier people I knew. I would do yoga classes. I would meditate. I would drink green juice. And then through the weekend, I would totally overdrink and wake up every Monday morning feeling like crap. And I lived in this cycle for years, years and years and years and years. And I always wanted it to change. I, I didn't like it. I felt crappy every single Monday, not only physically from the toll alcohol took, but also mentally really low. And yet I just didn't see a way out. I just only saw that, well, I guess I could quit drinking and then start going to AA and call myself an alcoholic. And I was just like, uh, I don't know about that. I had no tools to actually reevaluate whether or not alcohol is making me happy or served my life. And that's why I really wanted to write this book to give people the breakdown of, first of all, this is what happens when you take a break from alcohol and anyone can do it. These are the improvements you'll see in your body, your mind, and your soul. And then give someone an eight-week plan to go through it and not only change the habit, but actually really change their mindset around drinking. Mm. So let's talk about some of those health 
consequences. I don't know the best way to put it, but yeah, I mean, how does alcohol affect your health, especially for those who wouldn't call themselves an alcoholic? What are some of the ways that alcohol just affects our system? Absolutely. So, you know, I'll go into like what it feels like on a day to day, but also what's just so incredible is these last five to 10 years, there've been so many comprehensive health studies done. And I got to say that as the public, we've been completely misinformed about alcohol. We have Mm -hmm. even been taught that there is a health quality to alcohol, that in some places it's good for us. All of this has now, by the most comprehensive studies, been completely debunked. So for example, even just two drinks a week for a woman is led to a higher increase of breast cancer. One drink a day for your heart is not good for it. It actually increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, increases your cholesterol, your blood pressure, all these things. It's really bad for your immune system, your cancer markers, your brain. Like there's brain scientists who've never really been on the board for the alcohol train. And they're like, even normal matter amounts of alcohol can be bad for the brain. And obviously, these are those big long-term risks that we're talking about that are kind of hard to qualify in our daily life. Um, but I just love to share that because like this, this misnomer that alcohol is somehow good for us or, you know, should be drinking this amount is kind of been really debunked as not adding whatsoever to our longevity on this planet and actually detracting from our longevity. But on the daily basis, like when you drink a few drinks after work or, you know, on the weekend or something like that, alcohol also really affects our neurochemistry. It, uh, for one, it over we get this overly introduction of dopamine in our brain when alcohol is being drunk for the first 20 minutes. And it's actually way more than our brain can ever really capture naturally. And so what happens is over time, our dopamine receptors actually retract. Drinking alcohol also lowers our levels of GABA and serotonin. On top of that, because alcohol is a depressant, it slows down our central nervous system. But our body has this counteractive process. So in response to alcohol, our body actually releases stimulants. And we release cortisol, adrenaline, and something called dynorphin in response to alcohol. Dynorphin is kind of like the opposite of endorphins. And so it makes us actually feel really low and sad. So that Monday morning blues I felt, it wasn't me. It was literally the neurochemical effect of alcohol in my brain. And so alcohol, even just these weekend or normal amounts, will always increase our anxiety, increase our our the ability to feel more low and just glum and a little mopey it just completely dampens our mood and these effects will last weeks so even if you just drink on the weekend and you don't drink all week like this will these neurochemicals will always be in your cycle and that's why i titled my book euphoric is that's literally how it felt to take a break from alcohol once my neurochemistry rebalanced all of these happiness neurotransmitters were able to be at much more normal levels I literally felt giddy. I felt happy just to watch the clouds and see the trees and play with my dog, things that really weren't registering on my brain before. So neurochemically, you know, taking a break from alcohol will really change your mood and how you feel on a day-to-day basis. For your health too, like one glass of wine has been proven to lower our REM sleep cycles from around five to six that we usually have each night down to just one. So even when you clock in the eight hours of sleep, you're not getting the REM sleep you need, which means that you're perpetually exhausted and your brain isn't going through those cycles that needs to feel nourished. That's how I felt as a drinker. I was apathetic, feeling low most of the time, pretty tired all the time, never feeling like I got really deep sleep. And so one of the incredible benefits of taking a break from alcohol is that sleep will improve. It could take a minute. It could take a while for your your circadian rhythm to rebalance. So a few weeks at first, but then your sleep really improves and you wake up with a lot more energy. Your body's not working overdrive to kind of detox alcohol from your system as well. So it just allows your energy levels to go up. 
And one more thing I'll add is that you know, some people report weight loss, but what I really like to mention is the weight gain that actually alcohol can can bring because not only is it empty calories, which I think most of us have this concept of what that means, alcohol actually is the first thing that the body has to process and metabolize, meaning the carbs, the protein, the fat you ate that day just get pushed aside from the metabolism equation, and it also depletes our nutrients. So, you know, you're eating all this healthy kale or vegetables, and alcohol is depleting your body, your body's abilities to absorb those nutrients. So that actually leads to weight gain over time because we're hungrier and we're not metabolizing the other things. Um, so while that's not always often a selling point I like to share because I think a person's worth has nothing to do with their weight, it can be really like hard when you're trying to be healthy and you're trying to do all these things, but you're getting inadequate sleep. You're, you know, you're not getting the nutrients you need. Um, your mood is a little lower because of alcohol. And I just don't think most of these things are like public knowledge. Like they're not really taught. And, and that's really what I really wanted my book to do is be so much more approachable and just give anyone an understanding of what alcohol is doing to your body so that we can kind of have our own agency and choose, you know, if I want to drink because I had a stressful day at work, I need to understand that I'm just going to release more cortisol in my body and feel worse the next day. And I wish I had that neuroscience before. Yeah. I, it was about a month or maybe, maybe two months ago that I first heard, and I guess I knew this, I don't know, but the way it was put was alcohol is a toxin. Therefore your body has to metabolize it first. Like, and so just like you were saying, you're not going to get to the chicken breast or the pasta you just ate. It's going to process the alcohol first. And so all of the rest of that's like in the queue on the back burner. And, um, even when I just heard that, I was like, ew, gross, right? Like I want, I would rather my food be digested and, and metabolized, but I didn't know the second part of what you said of that, which was, um, it depletes us of the micronutrients of the things that we're eating as well. Ah, okay. So why, like, why does anyone drink? I mean, even after just listening to what you said, I'm sitting here thinking, why do we keep wanting to drink? Because I guess at the end of the day, it feels good. Right? I yeah, mean, what, I think, what would your perspective be? I think there's two main reasons. I mean, I think we all have individual reasons that are nuanced and unique, but I think there's two macro reasons why everyone drinks. First of mm -hmm. all, it is completely conditioned into us. So mm -hmm. we grow up watching other adults drink. As children, mm -hmm. we form ideas in our brain that adults drink, yeah. children don't. When we reach that age of adolescence, whatever it is, 15, 18, 21, 22, it is a rite of passage to start drinking. We marry it with these ideas of independence, rebellion, sophistication, glamour, and all of this is heavily marketed to us. So not only are we ingrained into drinking as we, before we even, our brain is fully formed, it is then ingrained into every single social situation past 5 p.m., everywhere in Western civilization, right? If you don't yeah. drink, you're the odd one out, right? So oh. it is so this message that we're he heard from society. If you want to fit in, if you want to, you know, have fun, if you want to relax, drink this drink. And so almost nobody can escape that. You know, some countries obviously have different um, rituals and cultures and stuff. But in our Western world, almost nobody escapes that kind of conditioning and programming that this is normal. This is just what you do. And then on top of that, what happens is that, you know, most people, when you ask yourself, how many times have you drank in your life? Most people aren't counting their fingers. It's hundreds, thousands of times that we've racked up drinking episodes in our life. And so think of the power of habit. Think of literally mm. how strong habits are. Think of how many times mm. I've brushed my teeth every day, even without the chemical addictive properties of alcohol, 
the just because I brush my teeth every day, you can't pay me money to not brush my teeth in the morning. I have to do it, right? So imagine the power of that rep- repetition and magnify it because then alcohol has these addictive qualities. It does stimulate the pleasure center in the brain. And so what it does is it will release dopamine in the brain. And that is really similar to how cocaine or heroin works too. We get this huge spike of dopamine, but then after 20 minutes, it crashes and it crashes lower than where your baseline was before drinking. And then those stress hormones start being evident. So you start to feel a little anxiety, a little uneasiness, and then hence most people reach for another drink. Um, this is why oftentimes over time, it's easy to, you know, drink more than you want to is like, you're always chasing that high again. And your body literally feels negative qualities once that crash happens that you don't want to experience that. Um, so yes, it like feels good. It's also been supplemented as a way we think that resolves a lot of our human needs. You know, I think our human needs are beautiful. There's nothing wrong with them, but when we've made alcohol, the solution for relaxation, for example, or having fun, or celebrating, or socializing, we've now given it all this power to, you know, basically resolve our human needs, but it's usually just not doing that. It's not very effective at that. So I think it's a huge cultural Mm. thing, Um, you know, and I think the more informed we get, the more we get to ask ourselves, wait a minute, do I want to be one of these? I mean, I I don't want to use a bad example, but like, do I want to be a sheep in this herd? Or do I want to think for myself? And that doesn't mean everyone has to quit drinking or something. But has it even ever been thought of? Has it has it ever been analyzed? Has Have you ever given yourself the curiosity to just ask, why am I doing this every single week? And is it adding to my life? You know, for me, the most troubling question was asking myself whether I had a problem or not, because I couldn't answer that question. Sometimes I moderated, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes, you know, like I looked like I drank less than other people. Sometimes it was more like I couldn't answer that question really, really honestly, at least not with the stereotypes I was thinking about or what a problem looks like. But when I asked myself a different question, does this really make me happy over the long term? Is this aligned with my values? Is this helping me achieve my bigger goals and dreams? I had much different answers. Hmm. How would you help someone realize or know if they, I mean, I love the questions you just asked and I think those are really good. But the first one that you asked was, is this something I enjoy doing? Was that right? Is it making, yeah, like long-term happiness. <laughs> is it making? So what if someone's like, yeah, because they're so stuck, like they do it so much that it's what they look forward to. And because of all of those things that you said with the dopamine and the way that it affects us, then they're like, yeah, this really does make me happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so how would you, I mean, how would you help people see, do they have a problem to the point they're an alcoholic and they're depending on it? But even if they're not that far, like how to just see, help them realize what life could be without it. Yeah. And I find that the more introspective and intuitive woman, intuitive a woman or a man is, the more that they're starting to realize that it's not just a pure love relationship. It's kind of love-hate, you know, because of the physical properties of alcohol and how it affects our human body, nobody on this planet can drink and then wake up the next day feeling like a million bucks. It's literally physically impossible. So if we're being really introspective and intuitive to listen to our bodies, there's a little smidge of something I don't like here. Yeah, I like to go out. I like to have fun with my friends. I like to try new wines, all this stuff. But I sure don't like how I feel the next day. I sure don't like how tired it makes me. I sure don't like how I woke up in the middle of the night. I sure don't like how I'm, you know, always feeling like on a slump. So if we're really being honest, I think that anyone who has 
the regular occurrence, I'm not talking about occasional drinking, but really having alcohol regularly can notice the things that they're not liking. Now, does this mean everyone has to quit forever? Absolutely not. But I think getting curious, again, is one of the first steps. Getting curious and just asking myself, you know, is this serving me? Is this making me long-term mm-hmm. happy? Have I come to just believe? You know, a lot of times things around alcohol we believe as a society are not true. We believe that it relaxes us. We believe it helps us sleep. We believe it's just the epitome of fun. And really asking yourself those questions, are those true for me 100%? Are those just things I've come to believe over time? And then I look for confirmation bias to prove to myself that it's true. And the best way I can do and help someone do that is literally to help them take a break from alcohol. Because if you think about it, a lot of us were kind of, like I said, indoctrinated to drink when we were teenagers. And other than a pregnancy here or there, most people drink regularly for the rest of their life. So it's like as adults, we don't even get an opportunity to see what our natural state feels like without alcohol throwing off a lot of these different balances in our body. And that's why I think it's really approachable and kind of fun to almost experiment with it. Like, what would it look like if I took a 30-day break from alcohol? What if I slept a lot better? What if I had more energy? What if I loved myself more? What if I ate healthier? What if I did all these things? At the end of 30 days, what if I kind of enjoyed the experience that I wanted to keep going? Again, I'm not saying I'm quitting forever, but what if I just wanted to keep going? I, I really enjoy how I feel. And so until someone has the apples to oranges comparison, it's really hard to say, you know, like if it's truly making someone happy because they've only have that one version of themselves and nothing else to compare it against. So these are some cool questions because again, you know, I think in our minds, if we ask ourselves, do I have a problem? Am I dependent on it? Well, like compared to who? Compared to Nicolas Cage from leaving Las Vegas? Probably (laughs) not, right? But if we start asking ourselves different questions and if there's something we don't like, you know, if we don't like the answer to something, if we don't like how we feel, Or, you know, and a lot of things with parents that I work with, they just don't like the the example they're setting. They don't Mm -hmm. like that. There's something that makes them feel uneasy about it. They're not over drinking. Maybe there's nothing else wrong, but they're just like, I don't know if I want to do this in front of my children. In my book, I really mentioned that any reason under the sun is perfectly valid to reevaluate a relationship with alcohol because it's often an outdated relationship that we formed. You know, for example, I was an introvert and really shy growing up. So Alcohol was like this magical elixir when I found it that turned me into an extrovert. And for some ways, in some different ways, it was a tool I used in my early 20s. But I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that version of myself that would need it in the same way. I've learned how to become confident in my own skin. So oftentimes I just say, like, maybe we have outdated relationships and unconscious habits. And that way, reevaluating it is this beautiful tool that anyone could use if this is interesting to them. You know, if you're not interested, go on your merry way. But if it is interesting to you, it's an incredibly introspective journey of self-discovery. Yeah. So what are some of your recommendations if you are out with friends? So I'm thinking, you know, tomorrow night I have an event that I'm going to. I can guarantee you there's going to be wine. And actually my plan was to bring a bottle of wine as my gift (laughs) to, to attend, right? And so I know there's going to be alcohol. And so what, and it's not, and I'm not a big drinker. I'm not. But when you're in a situation like that and everyone else is, you're just like, oh, it'll be part of the fun, right? So what are your recommendations for people to where they can, they don't have to feel like an outcast? And I, it's even weird asking this question, right? Because it's like, no one should feel like an outcast because they don't drink. Um, but you can feel like you're missing out on the fun and all of those things. So what are your tips for social occasions to still feel like you're 
the life of the party while you're there? That's such a great question. And I think, you know, in a way, it is one of the biggest hangups that we all have because this is the society we live in. This is what a normal looks like in our society. And so it kind of has some things to figure out to navigate that kind of scene without alcohol. You know, first of all, I love to teach some statistics that I've learned from my book and um, in my role as an alcohol free life coach. Over 60% of drinkers regularly overdrink. So this love hate thing. It's probably happening to around at least 60%, if not more, drinkers, because those are the only ones who admitted it on a survey. I'm sure it is a little more. Yeah. It's also been proven that over 52% of Americans wish that they drank less or not at all. And so with those two facts in hand, in my back pocket, I can go to an event. And at one place, I could kind of look at everyone and look at the wine and be like, oh, I'm missing out. I don't get to drink, you know, and just really see it as like, a me problem and everyone else gets to have a merry time. Or I can look around and be like, you know what? If I don't drink at this event, other people will actually be inspired by me. Other people might even be a little jealous of me because they are not looking forward to the negative side effects that they're going to feel the next day. And so instead of feeling like the one that who's always left out, I kind of switch it around to be like, I feel like the role model. I feel like the leader. I feel like the inspirer. And if you think about it, you know, we are talking about a beverage at the end of the day, you know, which is why sometimes this question could seem silly. Like if you went to a buffet and someone got the chicken wings and you got the salad because you don't eat meat, does it matter? Does it matter like in the social interaction that you're having with that person? So sometimes I like to talk like alcohol off of its pedestal and put it back into what it is. It's just a beverage in a cup. It is not what bonds us. It is not like what makes us fit in or not. And we have to break those own kind of ideas in our own mind. But to make it easier, what's happening right now is there's this huge alcohol-free movement where more and more people are, you know, questioning alcohol. There's more options these days. There's mocktail bars around the nation. And alcohol-free beverages are on a huge boom. There is alcohol-free wine, beers, craft beers, spirits, mocktails that are made with, like, nootropics. There's all these different health elixirs. Like, there's thousands of drinks out there that don't have alcohol in them. And so like, you know, getting an alternative at any kind of an event is a perfect answer because one, you might not even have to explain it to people if you don't want to, you know, the ritual is different than what is actually in the glass. The ritual is, hey, we're all coming together. We're sharing a beverage. We're having a good time. That doesn't have to go away, but does it really matter what's in the cup? You know what I mean? And so maybe bringing an option, an alternative, if that's possible to a party or something, would it really help someone if they're going alcohol-free and they're going to like a dinner party? Um, a lot of restaurants have mocktails on their menus and there's a lot of little secret orders you could order from the, the wait service staff um, to get a good option. So I think there's lots of ways to manage it, but it's also going to come with practice. The very first time will feel awkward. And then the second time we'll be like, that really wasn't that big of a deal. No one really cared. And the third time you're going to be like, I slept so well. And my Saturday was so amazing that you're going to start to realize I can have more fun without alcohol and the things that alcohol was taking away from me that next day. You know, it's like you get to have your cake and eat it too. And that's what's often really pleasantly surprising when I work with clients. They recognize they can have more fun without drinking. And becoming confident in alcohol-free identity is the same confidence you have to get in any other health identity or any other personal growth journey or any other kind of career. Most of the things that make us happy are the road less traveled. The masses won't do them, right? And so having the confidence to be on that path that's less traveled, like you're already building your courage muscle every single time you order a mocktail. You know, imagine what that confidence can do in other areas of your life. Yeah, not to mention... 
drinks are expensive, <laughs> right? Like you, it's crazy to me when I look at the price of a glass of wine and I'm thinking that's the same as the entree, the actual whole plate of food that I could be eating. What would you say to people who they're the wine connoisseurs? So they're the ones who just love the taste of it. They love the, you know, the notes and that whole experience. How can that be replicated in an alcohol-free way? I love that question. And I kind of found myself there too. You know, I live in San Diego. We have some wine regions around here, but south of the border in Mexico, we have a really booming wine region. And there was so much status and identity that I got from being the person who traveled across the border to go to wine tastings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So first of all, I think that the alternative beverage space is a really fun way to do that. I just had um, a alcohol-free bottle shop drink owner on my podcast and he's a former sommelier. So he lived for the taste and the nuance of different drinks. And what he says is he's a beverage nerd through and through, but now he's a beverage nerd for alcohol-free drinks. And there's so much like coming out. There's so much innovation that's happening in that space right now that you can kind of take the same passion to explore, try new things, you know, really like do the taste in this new realm. It could be really fun. So for example, there's the one drink called Proxies and they're a wine-like alternative but they're made with different ingredients. So there's actually chef collabs that they do with top chefs like Sean Brock has some and they come together and they make these drinks with like wild galangal and sumac and different kinds of grapes. And it's just this intriguing thing. And each wow. month they have like a different blend that they make. So like how fun for that chefy, foodie kind of person to get into that world. I also want to say this too, is that often alcohol is meeting our needs, our basic human needs. And there's different human needs models I really like the one from Tony Robbins. And one of his top human needs he talks about is significance. Significance often points to our desire to feel important, like we matter, like we are recognized, like we have a reputation. Um, And oftentimes our desires to be thought of as a connoisseur or as someone who's glamorous or sophisticated is tied a little bit to our need for significance. So it's not just that I like to drink and try all these beverages. In our society, we actually get status from that. Oh, I'm known as an expert. I'm known as a sophisticated person. I have a gorgeous wine cellar. I know my Japanese whiskeys. And so kind of asking yourself how that's adding to your need for significance can be a fascinating question. But you can also then transfer that need into alternative beverages or literally anything else that you want to become an expert on can function in the same way. But I would say have fun exploring that. You know, when I start working with clients and they dip their toe into this alcohol-free beverage world... Like you don't come out because there's just so much to explore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's fun and it's inventive. You know, for example, at the sh- at the French Laundry, they have a non-alcoholic pairing menu that goes with like their seven, 10 course meals. And they have to be even more inventive than just uncorking a bottle of wine. Like they're making these yeah. blends and these mocktails to really um, fit the needs of the meal. And it's like the-, the chefs say they have to be more creative. And I think that's so fun. That is really fun. Now you're making me want to go in and... Listen to that episode you did with that guy, but also go and research this world. Um, what about the buzz that people chase? Yeah. Is there any other, first of all, should we even try to be chasing that buzz? And then secondly, is there a different way to get it? Absolutely. And, you know, I won't try to discredit the buzz. There is a buzz, you know, alcohol affects our pleasure center. Um, And so does cocaine and so does heroin, right? But the thing is, is that as I've learned, you know, I, I drank on the weekend, right? And every single week for me, it was like 
Can't wait for the weekend. TGIF, you know what I mean? I didn't recognize how unfulfilling and boring my weeks were that the only highlight I had to look forward to was the wine tasting or the beer festival I was going to that weekend. Mm. And so, you know, what that science I shared earlier with you is that alcohol does affect the pleasure center. It goes up and then it crashes. And, you know, if someone's not taking a break from alcohol or trying to be alcohol-free in this particular moment, you can test that. Have a drink and see how you feel 40 minutes later, 50 minutes later. Like, it's going to not feel very comfortable compared to that 20-minute buzz. And it makes you feel lower than before. But another thing that alcohol does is that, you know, it's passively stimulating our pleasure center. We're not actually doing anything. I could just sit on the couch and drink that wine and have the fireworks go up there. Real fun to me is when we are active participants in creating our fun and creating our own buzzes, right? It's kind of like the difference between a child watching TV all day and getting some mild pleasure out of that versus going outside and climbing trees and rollerblading. You know, they're actively creating their own fun. And so I really do believe that we can create lifestyles where we're trying new things. You know, dopamine is also released when we're challenged or doing something new. I will encourage my clients to try their local Zumba class, to go rollerblading, to go to a writer's workshop, to try something they've never tried before, maybe launching a website, whatever it is, whether our brain gets challenged, it starts to feel its own highs as well. And a lot of the things that we want to feel, we are powerful creators that can do that. For example, most people want to drink to relax, right? But alcohol is technically not really doing that. It is forcing more of that stress hormones into the body. But there's so many different ways that we can actually learn to relax our human body, whether it's through breath work or meditation or maybe a walk during sunset or taking a bath or something like that. And I know these things sound so commonplace, but until you start trying them and testing them and and asking yourself, do I feel better? Is my body responding to these things? You know, we won't really know what really works for, for you and if we're not. And I find that just people will find these new methods, you know, when they wanted relaxation after alcohol. They'll find new ways to take care of that need. And when they wanted that buzz, they'll find something exciting to do. And how much more fun is that to be that active creator in your life? Now, I'm not suggesting that every Friday night we need to go off jumping off of a bridge and go bungee jumping or something like that. But kind of like asking yourself, when's the last time I did something new? When's the last time I did something different in my environment? You know, did I did I see someone new? Did I talk to someone new? I will hang out with my girlfriends and not drink and I will feel high. I will feel high, right? Because I'm buzzed off the connection that I get from people who are really present in that moment. So, you know, I think that alcohol just gives the most artificial buzz in the world and that we're after organic joy. And Mm -hmm. to have that be something that anyone gets to explore and just be kind of a curious experimenter in their life of what really makes me happy, not the passive entertainment, not the passive fireworks, what really brings me joy can be such a beautiful quest that will open so many doors. A lot of what you're saying as you're talking about it, I'm thinking not only could this be true for alcohol, but social media, right? Just passively sitting there, letting, you know, you're kind of getting the dopamine spikes from something you're not actively involved in. Maybe that's mm-hmm. your next book, how to be <laughs> social media free for 30 days and see how it changes your life. Gosh, I, I bet it would. I really bet it would for people. But And here's a question I wanted to ask you. So do you ever drink? And if so, why? Like, what's the decision-making process you would go through to choose to drink if you were to? Yeah. So I do not drink. Um, I got so incredibly 
empowered in this lifestyle. You know, at first I, I started with this break from alcohol. I actually started with a dry January and I took that 30 days off. I felt pretty good, but I started drinking again in February just because I still didn't really believe that an adult could just not drink in our society. Mm-hmm. Those times in February that I drank were pretty much a letdown. And I pretty easily was like, no, I feel much better not drinking. So I decided to take another break later in February. And I just haven't drank since. And what started happening was that like I started reaching these milestones, you know, 10 days alcohol-free, 20 days alcohol-free, 30 days alcohol-free. I was smashing my Achilles heel. And I was starting to get to know myself and my emotions in ways that I'd never done before. This confidence that I got of taking care of myself every single day started to spill out into other areas of my life. Because there was this line of questioning like, if I could do this, this thing I never thought I could do, what else could I do? And all of a sudden, I started breaking the bounds of all the limits I thought were on my life. I never thought in the wildest of my dreams that I would be an entrepreneur, and I launched a business. I never thought I'd be able to actually publish a book, and here I am an author. I now travel the world. I help people. I feel like an impact and freedom and meaning every single day. And it's all because I decided to take this road less traveled. And so for me, I just don't see a point to drinking. At the same time, I really worked out every single belief I had associated with alcohol. And I have just no illusions around it anymore. It's about as alluring to me as smoking a cigarette. It's just not like I'm not interested in it. And should I ever miss the taste? I'm not saying I'm like superwoman and I never, ever miss the taste. There's all these cool alternatives I can drink, you know, to mimic that same taste or that same feeling. It's not that big of a deal to replace your habits in that kind of a way. So for me, like, I'm going to say it's the one thing that woke me up to my potential. I'm going to say that I was sleepwalking before. And so to decide to drink again for me would kind of be like deciding like, no, 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 I don't want to play big. Like, get me off Mm. the stage. I actually want to go back to playing small. That's what it symbolically means for me. You know, but also at the same time, like no one has to come to this decision that they're never going to drink again. Like it's almost kind of ridiculous if you think about it, because if you your your like criteria for success is that you'll never drink ever again. When can you actually celebrate that fact the day you die? (laughs) Right. Like it doesn't really work. So I never suggest people even start thinking about forever But really just like first, the idea of a break, the idea of just some time away, 30 days, 60 days, if it feels good to do that, it's kind of like you're dating someone, like you're dating someone for two months and you like it, but you're not ready to get married yet. But that doesn't mean you're ready to break up either. You just kind of keep going. You keep dating them for a while. And what happens is like more and more time away from alcohol, plus changing all those beliefs about it, it just lowers people's desires. You know, so like I have mentors that say they can drink whenever they want. They just never want to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about it for me. Um, So I personally, like symbolically, just don't really align with alcohol. Like it's not aligned with my health goals. It's not aligned with my personal development goals. It's not aligned with anything. And I've really popped the illusion for what it is in my life. This was a process, though. It took me months to, to work through all these things. And I have to say the things that it helped me work through was such an incredible personal growth journey that I've now become a different person. I've evolved. I have a different identity than I had before. I was stuck in fear, jealousy, apathy, all these feelings all the time. Now I live a life of meaning and happiness. And do I have bad days? Of course. But I've learned how to feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. So inspiring. I love I, what really stuck out to me was when you said, to for me to go back to drinking alcohol would be going from like playing big to playing small. Like I I will 
I would break so much of the things I've learned and what I've done. But I also love what you said about it was a process. You started with 30 days and then you tried it, right? A lot of people get so stuck in like the the commitment of it, right? That they won't even step forward to try it and just see. So I love the experimentation thought behind it. Try it and experiment. See how it feels for you. And I mean, 100% they're going to feel they're going to feel better, right? There's just so much, especially when it comes to the sleep part of it, which is what I'm so passionate about personally. I so protect my sleep. And because alcohol affects my sleep, I try not to drink it a lot just for that one reason. But what is that for the listeners, right? What is it for you that you're, you feel like is not, you're not living to your fullest potential of it in life and you would like to see change? Could letting go of alcohol be a good first step into that direction? So in addition to getting your book, Euphoric, what are kind of the, if you have someone coming to you and they're saying, I'm all in, I hear you, I'm ready to make a change. How do you recommend they get started on the path? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, through my company, like we take out the guesswork with accountability and support, you know, these are things a lot times you're the only one in your social circle doing something like this, right? And so mm-hmm. the mindset process is also something that needs to be changed and worked through. If you just deprive mm-hmm. yourself and not drink for 60 days, you might notice those health benefits, but you might also be like, I can't wait till I can drink again. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. pregnant women go through that. They're like, I can't wait till you know I can yeah. drink again. So the mindset needs to be worked on too. We have to change our fundamental beliefs around alcohol because those are what govern our desire levels for it. And then mm-hmm. we can literally get to a point where we don't desire it. It's not, I can't drink. It's, I don't really want to drink, right? Right. Um, So my signature program, Become Euphoric, is a four-month group coaching program that really walks women through both those mindset changes. It gives them the coaching and the group element and the accountability to do it together. Um, But my book really has that kind of framework in it too. You know, it's kind of like the version of it is in my book. So I definitely recommend checking out my book. And if you're not ready to commit to a program yet, I know not everyone's there. You know, I would just say, first of all, like literally the very first step is just to recognize that this is interesting or intriguing or something about your intuitions picking up this topic. You know, like there's something here for you. And with that, I would just say lean in. Lean in a little. Like allow yourself to ask some of the questions that you heard today on this show. Allow yourself to journal about it a little. You know, read a book, read another book, listen to a podcast episode, just kind of dip your toe into the water. And when you feel ready for it, you know, a break from alcohol is also going to really, really change your life. Um, 60 days is going to be a game changer. That's how I do in my book. 30 days is still incredible. You know, dry January is coming up. That's a really great opportunity to do it. Even three days, if that's not what you're used to doing, will help you build a new muscle to learn how to engage with your emotions without alcohol. Um, And so really just being an experimenter like that, you have nothing to lose. You know, you really only have like all this incredible blessings to experience if you try it. And worst case scenario is you try it and you don't like it and then you go back, right? Like there really is nothing to lose. So like mentally, that's how I would frame it if someone wants to, you know, get started and just recognize too that these beliefs we have around alcohol are ingrained in our culture. They are ingrained even when we aren't drinkers. I know people who don't drink alcohol that still have certain beliefs around it because of what we see in society and marketing and movies and all this kind of stuff about what it signals, Now, like, I'll tell you just one example. So I live in California. I don't know anyone who smokes cigarettes anymore. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I smoked them yeah. in college. Nobody here smokes cigarettes anymore. Obviously, people still do, but no one I know. And sometimes I will watch a movie where this really radiant, healthy, gorgeous woman, powerful woman, smokes cigarettes. And I'm like, okay, what was the director or the writer thinking there? Why did they include cigarettes? Because in real life, that woman probably wouldn't be a smoker. So what were they trying to signal to the audience about her? They were using it as a signal to the audience. And the audience still, even today, even though we're much beyond the like main cigarette stage we had back in the day, we still get that sense that, ooh, she's a risk taker. She's a little rebellious. She's independent. Mm. We've been ingrained to see alcohol in so many different similar ways that are literally just part of our cultural identity. And I think it's kind of like waking up from the matrix. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's been just kind of put on me my whole life versus like, what do I get to believe? What do I get to decide? And kind of looking back through the like layers and just really getting to know yourself, you will like, seriously, you'll get to know yourself. You'll really will. It's a really fascinating tool to use. Um, So I think it's just a fascinating exercise, literally for anyone who's interested. And just to, again, once you see it, you won't unsee it. Once you see it, you won't unnotice how alcohol advertising is everywhere and how it's being pushed on moms and like you won't unsee it. Yeah. When you're talking about the cigarette one, all I could think of was Audrey Hepburn and Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Like that iconic kind of classic, gorgeous, but in reality, everything we know about smoking is absolutely not. She would not be that beautiful in, in real life with that perfect skin. Wow. Really amazing conversation. Carolina Jad Kavalska book is euphoric. You can get it wherever books are sold, but also you have an Instagram, which is euphoric AF and a website. And the website is euphoricaf.com where you can find out more about the group coaching and the other things that Carolina is doing. Thank you so much for joining us today and having this amazing conversation about being alcohol free. Thank you so much. I know it's kind of like a mind bender when, you know, we we think of it one way and we kind of ask different questions, but it's been such a pleasure to be here. Um, Thank you so much to your listeners for tuning in as well. I think it's just so insightful and introspective of anyone to just ask these kind of questions. And thank you so much for, you know, your interview. Here are my key pies takeaways, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual takeaways of how you can take this information, what we just heard, and actually lead to major changes in your life. First of all, alcohol does not really help our bodies. It can hurt our sleep. It can hurt our relationships. And especially in the sense it can hurt our relationships because if we are using alcohol to numb pain or emotions that we're having instead of leaning into the relationships in our lives, then we're not creating those healthy relationships with our kids, with our spouse, with our friends. So asking yourself those same questions that Carolina proposed, is alcohol actually helping me lead the life goals that I want to have? Am I really even that happy with the alcohol that I'm drinking? Is it leading me to live the kind of life that I want to live? This can be thought of and answered physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And I would really encourage you to take the time to actually think about your relationship with alcohol and what it's doing for you versus what it's actually taking from you. Secondly, I want to encourage you to go alcohol-free. 
Try going three, seven, maybe even 30 days without drinking. And I would even encourage you to take note of the times where you really want to drink. So I know for me, I typically want to have a small glass of wine. I'm really not a huge drinker, but I typically want to have a small glass of wine at the end of a stressful day. Why? Because I'm wanting some relief. I'm wanting to feel kind of a pressure release of the day that I've been experiencing. But what can I do when I'm leaving work and I'm stressed because I didn't get stuff done instead of turning to wine, which is my drink of choice, maybe to go take a hot bath or to go out for an evening walk in addition to my morning walks? What can I do to lean into spending more time with my kids and letting their touch, like the hugs that we have, playing together, different types of things like that, which we already know from research, that physical touch with people that we love can really help to decrease stress levels. What if I leaned into that? What if I leaned into asking my husband to spend some time with me intimately? That can decrease stress levels. There's other options that actually can help the relationships in our lives as opposed to turning to alcohol. And then my third key takeaway was this, when she mentioned how when we drink alcohol and it allows that dopamine response, which which dopamine is the pleasure chemical, not really the pleasure chemical, it's the anticipation chemical. And so it's this chemical that's released that makes us want to keep seeking more, which is why when you start drinking, you continue to want to keep drinking. So since we know that happens and we can just be sitting there And having these dopamine responses when we're not actually doing anything that's really bringing true pleasure in our real life, then how can we be more mindful about doing the things that bring pleasure in real life, right? But I also really felt this when she was talking about it in terms of social media. We're still getting that dopamine response, but we're not doing anything to really bring value to us or to our relationships. So notice over the next couple of days when you're just sitting on the couch, scrolling on Instagram or Facebook and how you're not engaging, you typically feel worse than you did when you started because you were seeking human connection and that's not what you've got. So what can you do to actually seek human connection that can help release those pleasure chemicals in your body, but also release some of that oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical, right? So for me, this would be instead of going to Instagram, again, going back to like, hey, kids, let's make cookies tonight or let's play a game. My kids have been on fall break this week and every night I've tried to be intentional about playing a board game with them. And you know what? It's been awesome. And I haven't gotten on my phone or scrolled Instagram. And that has been amazing. So what are your key takeaways and what are you going to commit to do after what you learned today? Also, be sure to share this episode with a friend. So much good stuff to share with people. It's an easy one to share as well. So please share and leave a review if this episode has been helpful to you. It helps us reach even more people. Until next week, stay strong.